Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything it connects to. I am really thrilled today to have a special guest, Anish Chaudhry, who is a health and wellness practitioner who has both a, um, a foundation, a nonprofit, as well as his own set of clinics, uh, kind of merging between Western and, and Eastern medicine. Anish, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. So tell us, Anish, what was kind of the journey that got you um, where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to share. And, and you, you said it ex exactly right, that my journey into health and wellness really, really began in wanting to be my own first client. And you know, I dealt with significant mental illness in the form of depression, anxiety, bipolar. You know, it seemed to be every other diagnosis under the sun through my teenage and early 20s and you know what really really transitioned my life and got me to a point of clarity for the first time ever after being just in a dark place was when i got my brain scanned in 2013 it uh it basically sparked a newfound inspiration in my mind to where it was the first time in my life where i had a sense of hope and realizing that there that it wasn't something wrong with me but it was actually just imbalances in my brain that I was able to then heal with diet, nutrition, exercise, meditation, yoga, many of the different modalities we offer present day through my clinics. And so I then became my own case study and became obsessed with my own health and got my bachelor's in neuropsychology, changed my whole entire life. And then really that's what fast forward to today and, and through whole bunch of other trials and tribulations what is now seven years later a soul physio lifestyle and having a full medical team and research team all working for me really working to bridge the gap between eastern and western medicine to help others that are going through a lot of what i went through yeah uh, that's got to be an interesting place that, just full disclosure i am married to a doctor mm -hmm. um, a surgeon and mm -hmm. she's doesn't uh reject uh, Eastern medicine. Uh, so I guess she's a little bit, but that's got to be uh, an interesting thing within the business to, to have your own medical team and have people who integrate uh, a variety of different approaches. Tell us about that. Exactly. So what our goal is to really take different schools of thoughts and like the analogy that I always like to use is, you know, Western medicine is very science, very data and evidence-based, which I think is amazing. But the way I always like to uh, summarize it and I explain it, and a lot of my practitioners and doctors understand this, is that, you know, Western medicine, I believe, is designed for acute care. You know, you have an emergency, you go to the ER. You know, you say you get a cold, you need to go to the urgent care, you go. And it's like really great for right now. You say you break a bone or get in a car accident, you go to the trauma unit and get a surgery. And so where I think that Eastern medicine comes in is largely on prevention. And there isn't a significant amount of data to back it up, but 
also at the same time too that Western medicine hasn't been around forever either. Pharmaceuticals are something that's new to the 20th and 21st century. And so they had to do things to take care of themselves before all of this science came up. And, you know, that's where Eastern medicine largely uses herbs and, you know, nutrition. And, you know, we can't argue the value of eating a healthy diet. I think that's one thing, no matter how much the Western community says, that pills are never going to be able to replace how much of an importance diet has. And so I think that it had, it all has its place. Yeah. Uh, it, it absolutely does. I have a condition I won't get into, but uh, so it's watch and wait mode. And it's been like that for six or eight years. So I asked them, oh, do you mind if I just start taking herbal stuff? Since you're not going to do anything and you can't do anything, am I hurting anything? And, and they said, well, was, you know, don't go too crazy. And so I, um, I've been taking lots and lots of herbal stuff and my condition has not gotten worse. And now the surgeons who are saying, oh, maybe we ought to just operate while you're still young are saying, you know, sometimes these things shrink on their own. So just let's just keep riding, riding the do nothing wave. And um, yeah. so you're absolutely right. There's um, when Western science, Western medicine doesn't have an answer. That doesn't mean there isn't an answer. Exactly. So tell me how you've... Um, integrate that in terms of customer value and customer outcomes for your patients, for your clients. So there with that and being in mind that, you know, to kind of piggyback off what I was saying about Western medicine, really specializing in acute care, I built my whole entire business model around aftercare. And that's what I like to say is we're not there to replace your primary care doctor, but rather having to add on. Cause I mean, you know, the, the recommended, minimum from like Western healthcare standpoint is yearly physical, you know, making sure your blood is in range, but then there's a whole host of other things through diet, nutrition, yoga, meditation, and a whole list of things that people can do throughout the course of their day. And that's where we work with our clients and being able to optimize, okay, what are you doing right now? Where do you want to be? And then we're able to assess and fill in the gaps to where then they can build kind of an ideal day that's rooted in health and wellness concepts to then be able to boost a healthier brain, which has a, a very strong and positive impact, as you can imagine, on business and personal and every other area of life. So we're very heavily focused on building healthy lifestyle, hence the name of my business, Soul Physio Lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember is that um, a lot of doctors um, focus on the part of the body that they focus on, right? It's focus on their specialty. And medicine can sometimes seem very siloed as a result and not particularly holistic. And so somebody that uh, helps either those doctors or the patients or both take a more holistic look saying, you know, all of it connects to the brain, all of it connects to your mind. At some level, everything connects to everything else. Uh, let's let's look at the whole system, not just the part that I operate on. Right, exactly. We'll take the example of heart disease. It's one of the the some most leading cause of death in this country. And you know, a heart attack doesn't just happen overnight. But there's so many cases to where you know someone could have a heart attack relatively early on in life, say 40s, 50s, and 60s. And they have no clue what the heck happened. Like they end up waking up in the hospital, like 
a shocking wake-up call, you know, God willing, they make it through that event, wondering what the heck happened. And that's where we really use education and understanding how all of our different behaviors, thoughts, feelings, emotions, ultimately affect all these different parts of our body and the heart, the brain, the circulatory system, the respiratory system, understanding how it's all put together. That way the goal is then through preventative medicine and preventative care, you don't have to have that unex like that unexplainable like heart attack that could just pop up the middle of the blue because then you have an understanding and awareness of all of these different lifestyle choices that that ultimately lead up to that happening over the course of repeating those behaviors for years. Absolutely. So walk us through uh, some of the outcomes that you're do you call them patients, clients, both something? Clients, because we right. you know, the medical model uses patients, so we really want to do clients. I think when people think of patients, it almost has a somewhat of a negative effect mentally. Yeah, no, I get you. Um, yeah. So I, I I wanted to call them the same thing you do. Sure. Uh, so what kind of outcomes do your clients experience that they might not experience with a purely Western or with just a purely Eastern model? What do they get when they get the two under one roof? So the best way that we approach it is I always like to say we take all the modern science from the West and in terms of like emerging research and neuroscience and physiology and then combining it with the ancient wisdom from the East. That way it creates a deeper awareness within the body. So I think people get a chance to truly get to know themselves on a deeper level to where say, if they're getting sick, they could feel themselves getting sick, you know, rather than getting stressed out and say having an outburst of anger, they're able to like understand the cues and understand the triggering events that could lead into that anger outburst or whatever the case may be in terms of what they're working on. You know, if they're, if they're trying to lose weight, making like, rather than focusing on losing the weight, they focus on what's caused them to gain weight to begin with and eliminating those underlying factors. And then the weight falls off as a byproduct. So I think it's really across the board. The ancient wisdom piece creates a deeper awareness and a deeper connection with self, but then being able to take in the scientific part and understanding how the different organs in the body all ultimately have an interrelated relationship. So it sounds then like you're getting a combination of, of some of the deeper causes that you would that you don't get from either of the two two approaches in isolation. You're you're getting a, a more holistic view and a better understanding of the causal relationships, and you're able to attack problems more holistically. But you're also uh, as a byproduct, there's a lot of quality of life, attitude, and uh, emotional benefit that you may not get from either of those two in isolation. Exactly. Am I close? Yeah. yeah, no, very much so. And I always like to say we take a mind, body, spirit approach to brain health, because then when you address the mind, the body and the spirit at those three levels, then you're able to hit a lot of different things that say you may not be able to hit with just a Western approach or just an Eastern approach. Cause you know, if you just go full Eastern, and you may not understand what's happening in your body. You could be like, wow, this is helping me, but I have no clue what's happening. Or like say a full Western approach with just pharmaceuticals that may end up causing side effects and then all of a sudden it may create new problems and then becomes a guessing game as to which medication to use 
versus if you have like a mixture of both, you create healthy habits throughout the day and to where you can still take medication and, and understand like how it's affecting you. Sure. So that's yeah. What yeah, we're, uh, America's a notoriously unhealthy culture. Uh, so I, I can't help but uh, think that helping people, people live a healthier life um, prevents the need for a lot of Western medicine. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, my wife is also just full, you know, she's a surgeon as well, but she's very involved in evidence-based um, guidelines outside of the traditional standard of care. Um, mm -hmm. So it's very evidence-based, but uh, American doctors haven't really adopted it widely in terms of preparing one of her patients before surgery. Um, and during surgery, some differences in what she does and then after surgery. So pre, during, and post surgery Mm -hmm. which is the most Western of all Western invent interventions, right? Sure. Um, but uh, one of her colleagues, when he was talking about this, uh, put up a picture of himself and his daughter in their running gear, saying, here's mm -hmm. me and my daughter getting ready to run a marathon. And guess what we did the night before? We, you know, we'd, we'd exercised and worked our way up, but the night before we did the traditional carb loading and we prepared our bodies and we hydrated really well mm. in preparation for this marathon. And here's my patient. And Western medicine tells us to starve that patient before we're insulting their body, even worse than a marathon. Like we're cutting mm. into them. Um, and how much sense does it make to starve that body before we're insulting it. How much sense does it make to um, load them up with so much fluids that their healing response shuts down until they can pee that water out? Right. Right, yeah. when, we're, right when we're purposely injuring that body. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that, I see your point totally, and I'm not an expert on surgery, but to my understanding, I. I think the reason that you fast going into the surgery has to do with anesthesia and holding food in the digestive system and having that be like some kind of potential adverse reaction with that. No, but that's interesting. Very no, interesting. No, it, it, it is interesting. But if you give the patient a clear carbohydrate drink, you can do that way later mm. than doctors grew up and remember every doctor is uh, a young doctor who learned from an old doctor who learned from a dead doctor right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and um oh. and we're so a few afraid of getting sued for doing it differently even if it's better um you don't get sued for doing it the same way everybody else does mm -hmm. right even if it's wrong it's true no, that, that's interesting because I think then that opens up a totally new level of discussion in the surgical world in terms of what is the best way to prep the body for en enduring such a traumatic experience yeah. to where then, because you know what happens like the next 48 to 72 hours is your body like having releasing so many chemicals and trying to heal from what just happened. So yeah. being able to give yourself the tools, I imagine would have very positive yeah. outcomes on that initial healing period. Yeah, no, um, her patients, they bring them food in the recovery room. Mm. And when they first did yeah. that, right, the recovery room nurse like tried to 
chase the uh, chase this nutritionist out who was bringing a tray into the patient, and you know the uh, doctors had to come in and say no, that's that's the order. This isn't an accident. We're feeding that patient on purpose. We're getting their body going again. We're getting their gut moving in. And by the way, every four hours, you're going to force them to get out of bed and take a few steps. Uh, um, because a patient that sits there and does nothing, their body doesn't get moving and they, they're much, you know, everything atrophies and nothing good happens to a patient that isn't moving. No. That's true. And yeah, because then you need circulation and blood flow. Yeah. That ultimately, that's what's going to circulate the nutrients to facilitate yep. healing. Yeah, and on and on, right? Uh, it makes sense to you, but um, it, it isn't the standard of care. It's really interesting. Um, I, we're getting off on a tangent that's not that. I mean, it talks about value and it talks about client and patient outcomes, but... Um, um, I, you know, you and I could probably talk about this for a long time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's true. But I think to kind of bring it, it back home is that, you know, between Eastern and Western medicine, I think building this integrated model is going to be what the future of healthcare looks like. And I believe that, you know, the Western practitioners that stay on the Western side and the Eastern practitioners that stay on the Eastern side are going to struggle in certain like populations. Because ultimately being able to bridge the two, like for example, I'm going to use the practice of meditation because that's like the foundation of a lot of the programs we use. Meditation perceived by those who don't know may think of just some foo-foo religious activity that has nothing to do with, like that can't help me. Like, you know, I don't want to like go and stay in the cave in the Himalayas and meditate. Like it doesn't seem very practical. And so the way that we take an integrative approach is we take an ancient Eastern practice, but it has a, a very strong body of emerging research showing that it increases blood flow to the brain and promotes the growth of new brain tissue and ultimately can be used as a very healthy tool to build the brain. And it's something you can do anytime, any place for no cost. That seems like something I definitely want to sign up for when wow. phrased in that way, but it has to be phrased in that correct way. No, you're absolutely right. And um, for those of you not uh, who are listening to this in a recorded sometime in the future, we're recording this uh, during a COVID lockdown where we're at the point now we're in, in almost in mid June. So uh, for time reference, there's um, civil unrest happening for about two weeks now, but uh, COVID has is still something we're worried about and how and when are we coming out and people are kind of at their end of their rope in terms of uh, cabin fever stress. Hmm. And are you and your clients doing anything? Are you doing anything with your clients in terms of helping them cope with what's going on in the world? And you know, because so much of what's going on in the world can manifest itself physically. Right. No, hundred percent. And and that's one of the real challenges that everyone's facing that we're not talking about as much as how much of an impact all of this COVID stuff and the stay at home, the social distancing, the mask wearing, how it's affecting us mentally. That's not something that's being talked about enough. And so we, I, when we offer telehealth services, so our existing clients are still working with a lot of uh, our doctors via telehealth. We, I mean, a lot of the services we're providing in, cl in the clinics, we've had shut down for a few months now because, you know, like massage, for example, was a, a big 
service we offer to one of my clinics in today's world, like pretty hard to make it have a socially distanced massage. It's just not going to happen. Like yeah. the two don't go together. <laughs> so, and so it's just finding ways to get creative and, and adapt to that. And, you know, we're really urging a lot of our clients to do a lot of journal writing because it's with all the uncertainty in the world, it can be so easy to just get caught in these negative thought patterns. So we're really encouraging our clients to just write down what they're feeling. And even if they don't necessarily have an answer, just being okay with not having an answer. Because so many of these political circumstances are out of my control, out of your control, and all my clients' control. So for us to like stress ourselves out and compromise our own well-being, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And yeah. so I think only time is going to tell how thing, these situations are going to unfold. Yeah, you have to uh, restrict yourself to what you can control. And uh, I haven't been as good about this in the last couple of weeks, but I was pretty disciplined early on in the, in the shutdown to uh, looking at my calendar, figuring out what I had to do and what do I have to know about the world outside? What news do I have to get in order to do today's tasks? And get that information and then shut everything out and do my, you know, get, get around my day. If you wallow in the world, and you know, this, this was true before the COVID times, right? If you wallow in stuff too much, um, you can get twisted around your own axle. Very much so. Yep. It's so easy to get caught in this negative train of thoughts that can go from, you know, a, just to use an example, and it may sound extreme, but like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then train of negative thoughts could go to the world is going to end. Because, you know, there are probably people that have that, that thought pattern. And there's so many things that happen in on that way to when where you're actually like writing down on a piece of paper. You can then like when you look at it from a detached point of view, all of a sudden you realize how ridiculous some of these thoughts we have are and realizing we're, they're not ours. We take in all this information from the outside world, from the media, friends, family, whatever the case may be. And it's so like, if we internalize it as our own, it can wreak havoc on ourselves. Like, yeah. Like yeah. This is, this is not necessarily a business thought, but I have determined that uh, we have become a nation, perhaps even a world, but we've become a nation of addicts and the drug we're addicted to, uh, sometimes you'd call it outrage or sometimes you'd call it, you'd call it drama. And if, if you're driving into work and nobody cuts you off in traffic, you've got to turn on the news or the radio so that you can get pissed off about something because you're just not happy unless you're mad. Sure. Uh, and, and that's America. And that's the world, right? We aren't happy unless we're outraged by something. And uh, we all have our own drug dealer that gives us our fix of outrage. Um, we're all... We, we all prefer our own uh, version of that addiction, but mm -hmm. the trick is realizing that we're addicted to something and what are we going to do with or about that addiction? Yeah, no, I think that you, you bring that's a very interesting perspective, but it's true that we live in a very fast paced society where there's always something happening. And if there isn't something happening, it makes us extremely uncomfortable. So you have to make <laughs> something happen. Exactly. You know, so it's where like meditation is like literally tuning all that out and learning to sit with those feelings. And it's incredibly uncomfortable when you're not used to it, but then being able to find stillness in these fast paced environments is really when the magic starts to happen in terms of gaining true mental clarity, peace of mind, decreased stress, 
and ultimately increase focus because then your energy is not being drained by all these other things. You're able to truly focus on what you're doing. And that does have a very positive outcome in the business sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, let's stop talking about that physically and symptomatically. Let's start talking about what a leader gets from being able to do that. If you're trying to lead a team or to lead an organization and be strong and be calm, what does that uh, do besides help you, you know, what does your practice do for those leaders besides the, the obvious physical health aspects? From a mental standpoint, what it's able to do is put you so deeply rooted in the present moment to where, you know, you're not worried about, how the actions of your team or how the decision you're going to make is, you know, of course you take it into consideration, but you're not like creating scenarios that are yet to happen or beating yourself up or perhaps getting upset at your team members for what's happened in the past. You're able to analytically evaluate, okay, here are a, a B and C, all the different decisions, like all the different factors I need to make these decisions. And then you're able to make it in a logical way to where you're able to, not necessarily detach from emotion, but acknowledge the emotion of whatever is the discomfort in the situation, but then make a truly educated decision based on not just yourself, but potential outcomes that could occur down the road. And so being able to stay rooted in the present moment and ultimately being able to gear your focus and not get distracted by all of these other crazy things that we talked about is a at least how I run my business and how yeah. I've seen and, and, and perhaps keeping it in perspective, um, our mutual friend, uh, um, Jeff Hazlett often uses the expression, nobody died. Yeah. And I was, um, I was listening to a uh, talk, a presentation by the fellow who, um, who founded kayak, mm. the travel site. And right. he used, he used to work for Bob Crandall, uh, pretty salty prickly head of American airlines mm. and, and he was one of Bob Crandall's executives and he tried a project and um, tried an initiative and it didn't work. And he had to go into Bob Crandall's office and tell him, Bob, I just wasted a million dollars of the company's money mm. and right. This prickly um, person who wouldn't suffer fools I uh, asked him, all right, so what did you learn? And so it wasn't nobody, it was kind of like nobody died, but never waste a good mistake. All right, it happened. How are we going to make sure, what, what did we learn? Is there something that we can take from this and make it even better? And um, that probably took some emotional centering on Bob Crandall's part to not fly off the handle. And I think as leaders, um, when we're able to do that with our teams, that probably makes a, makes, builds a culture where you're able to innovate and able to try things and able to do things and able, and which is going to be really important in the next couple months. Totally. It is. And from a leadership standpoint, it, one thing that people hate to when they're on a team is when they're being micromanaged because then it puts the team in a state of fear. And when the, steam, the team's in a state of fear, it effect, ultimately affects performance. Yep. So I think that when a leader's able to be solid and grounded within themselves and give people on their team like the flexibility and building that trust, 
because trust is so important. If you're not able to, like the leaders don't respect, or the your employees don't respect you or trust you, that's then gonna create a, a whole scenario of negative outcomes. So you mentioned being able to create positive culture, and that's where I think the, the quality of the team and, and the attitude of the team and making them feel confident in their abilities is super important. And the leaders ultimately has to, to practice those principles within themselves too. Yeah. All right. I'm going to ask you the tough question for the last question. How good at that are you with your team as the leader of your own organization? Now, as many different things that have changed for me in the first year of being in business and how rapidly my organization has expanded, I've had no choice but to adapt that because they've been coming to me wondering what's going to happen next. You know, I mean, I opened my first clinic a year ago. I purchased the second clinic within six months of opening the first one. So while we're still building the first one, I'm already planning a second one, being able to integrate all these different treatments. And then so they're coming to me and wondering like, okay, so what does this mean for the company? And so, you know, there are times where I haven't openly expressed to them like how frustrated I've been because I've had to take a step away and center myself before having that conversation. So rather than just reacting and perhaps going to what is the uh, immediate reaction and showing that emotion, I've had to take a step back, reevaluate before delivering that information because I can't just make decisions on the fly of that magnitude without first weighing all the potential consequences of doing so. Cool. Uh, that's, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and I appreciate, oh, well, I appreciate the, uh, the, for the frankness and openness. And I, I hope your teams uh, recognize that and are able to work with that kind of a work leadership style. It's yeah. so much better than a lot of, so many of the alternatives. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Anish, how can people get a hold of you and, and learn more about you and, and your work and your foundation and your clinics? Sure. So my website is soulphysiolifestyle.com. So feel free to go on there. All the information about all my businesses are on there. Go ahead, fill out the contact form and comes to me directly. Or feel free to connect with me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Love Great. to chat. All right. Well, Anish, thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. And um, it's, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Yep. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe, and this is kind of an interesting sign-off line uh, within the, the, the uh, perspective of what we've been talking about with Anish, we believe that value exists in your customer's mind. So your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blue. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.